Welcome everyone. Welcome to the Matter of the Heart, where we bring you heartfelt, educational, positive stories, all to elevate your spirit. I am your host, Carol Olivia, and we're always so glad that you take the time out to listen to the Matter of the Heart. I'm curious, listeners, have any of you ever visited an indigenous country um, such as Bali, Australia, Brazil, or Chile? And what is it that the people of these cultures uh, connect so naturally with their hearts? How do they connect to their hearts? It seems as if they connect more easily I'd say more easily, more freely, more smoothly with their hearts than industrialized countries. And what motivates indigenous countries to honor Mother Earth, to actually respect it, to take care of it, to nurture it, to be with it, almost like a partnership. And, and Bali, which we've heard so much about, how do the people of Bali live, live their lives you know, spiritually, so spiritually, uh, is it through ceremonies, is it through prayers? Um, it's a fascinating subject. Well, our guest for the matter of the heart is Dr. Bonnie McLean. She is the doctor of oriental medicine. She's also an acupuncturist. Dr. McLean was awarded the top doctor in 2019, top doctor of oriental medicine and acupuncture by the International Association of Top Professionals, AOTP. She's also the author, where she puts a lot of her wisdom together on health, of integrative medicine, the return of the soul to healthcare. Welcome to the show, Dr. McLean. Hi, Carol, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here with you. Oh, thanks. So what drove you? I mean, you, you visited so many countries. Um, what motivated you, Bonnie? Uh, I, was, I was actually, I think, trying to heal myself. I think it started out that way anyway. Um, I am a wounded healer. I think of a lot of us that go into the healing work, go there as wounded healers. And as we learn to heal ourselves, then we also can pass that on to other people. Uh, I grew up in an alcoholic home. Both of my parents were alcoholics. So I had a lot of healing, I think, of my heart that I needed to do. And so it was like a, I wasn't really conscious of what was going on. I just felt kind of driven. And I found that it was the indigenous cultures that did much more than the psychotherapy I had spent years in. I, it helped, but it worked with my mind and the um, indigenous people worked with my heart and that was where obviously the healing needed to happen and as I kind of brought back pieces of myself um, I found that I realized I had been in a low level depression a lot of my life and then I wasn't I wasn't I realized after I wasn't depressed anymore that that's what had been going on because I was a high achiever for many years, so to me, I was a success. <laughs> but, you know, inside, there was something off. And they're, they're the ones that helped me heal my heart and kind of brought my own soul back, I think. Hmm. 
That's interesting. So how do they help you? What, I mean, you mentioned psychotherapy and uh, I, I agree. They only, to me, they only connect to the mind, but not the heart. How do they connect? What tools, what, uh, you know? Well, I, I've been to a number of different countries and they all did similar things. They just used different tools depending on what part of the world they were, you know, whatever they had available to them. So, um, and I, let's say I went to my, the first place I went to was the Philippines and I went to a psychic surgeon, uh, Reverend Alex Orbito, and that was profound. Um, I went to, in Bali definitely was profound. I spent about two months in Bali, a month the first time and three weeks the second time. And it was really, when I saw the movie Eat, Pray, Love, I realized that probably all of us that go to Bali have the same experience that she described in the book. It's just we didn't write about it. It's just, I think everybody that goes there comes back changed. And I I think part of it is the ancientness of the culture. They're Balinese Hindu, and they're very, um, uh, very spiritual. They have ceremonies constantly. If you went, if you drove around that island, and every day you would find a ceremony in in one of the villages. I'm sure they have little altars at their houses, and they say prayers every day. Um, they're just, they live their spirituality and they seem to have like a, a sense of their value. You know, even as small children, they have these um, parades when they go to their ceremonies mm-hmm. and they all dress up like kings and queens and princes and princesses and they all, you know, gold and beautiful, um, mm. you know, they carry fruit on their head and they bless that and then they eat that. Um, and it's so interesting to watch because, like, you, a tourist will go to the temples and they just look like a ruin, like a you know a bare temple. You don't really feel this, you know, the sacredness mm-hmm. of it. But when they get ready to do their ceremonies, they decorate it and they bring flowers and they bring, you know, colored cloths and then it comes alive. And they just have these amazing, beautiful ceremonies. Um, where they they will start out by um, inviting the negative, whatever negative energies are there, out of that space. And then they invite the positive loving ones. But they acknowledge both. They just don't pay any attention to the negative ones. So in that way, they're very Taoist, I think, you know, with the yin-yang acceptance of the whole, the wholeness of life, uh, light within the dark, dark within the light. But they, I think that they're also telepathic because when I went, I went, I wanted to go on a spiritual pilgrimage. And at first I couldn't find a guide that did that. They, all, most of the tourists that went wanted to go shopping mm-hmm. or to the bars or something. Mm-hmm. But I was in Ubud, which is, I think, where that book was also written. And this young man just showed up at my hotel and his name was, um, uh, way on, way on Tantra. And we talked for probably a good half an hour. And then, a, and then out of, you know, in passing, he said, yes, what I do for a living is I take people on spiritual pilgrimages. Mm-hmm. So I spent the next month on the back of his little motor scooter going around to the ceremonies. 
and he would take me to his home and the, his sisters would dress me up in their sarongs and they accepted me and just treated me like I was one of them. And I'm sure that they do that with anybody who's interested in their culture. Mm, that's fascinating. Yeah. And then he took me around to different healers. And then when I went back the second time, I found some of the same healers and some new ones. Mm-hmm. And so I probably, I went one, one particular one named Mongku Pogon uh, did kind of like, like a yoga practice and he ended up, um, he died about six months after I saw him, but he told me that he was going to pass on his healing abilities to the people that he did healing with. And I really feel like he does help me now, you know, works, works through me. I just feel like a lot of us as healers, we know it's not us. Mm-hmm. We know that they're, we're just the conduit, you know? Right. Okay, but so when you say healers, what kind of healers did you see in, in what, you know, what method? They did, they, well, they did different techniques. One of them, you know, like I said, he did kind of yoga, yoga methods. And then there was another one that did something like acupuncture, except he didn't use needles. He used a, like this little sharp stick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there, were, there, were, uh, there was a priest. I went there on, on my birthday, and so he did a special you know, blessing for my birthday, and he was called a holy man, and then there was a holy woman, and they would, they would uh, spray me with water, and, you know, cleanse the old, and then, you know, put flowers on me to bring in, you know, the new healing, Mm -hmm. and I just felt different by the time I left, but see, I think, I think part of the magic of Bali, it's its history, but it, and its culture, but it's also, I think it's on a power spot, Mm-hmm. There, there are several volcanoes there, which is common for the indigenous people, especially in the mountains, mm-hmm. that the volcanoes are sacred. And I really think that these are power spots. I, I believe that, you know, we talk about the chakras and the acupuncture mm-hmm. meridians and the acupuncture points on the human body. Mm-hmm. I think that the earth has these two. We're just microcosms of the macrocosm. Right, right. So, so the earth has you know, like what we would have is the chakras. And I believe that Bali is, is one of those. And mm-hmm. so on their new year, on the Balinese new year, the whole island goes to Mount Ogung, which is their major sacred volcano. Mm-hmm. They have a temple there. Mm-hmm. And they all um, come together and they pray for Bali, but they also pray for all the rest of us, mm-hmm. for everybody on the whole earth. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, send, and then they send um, some of the blessings out to the ocean so that, you know, they can kind of go throughout the whole ocean to all the different continents. Fascinating. So I'm curious why the volcano uh, is sacred to them. Well, I think they feel the energy. I think it is a, I think the volcanoes are somehow involved with these power spots. And Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that these power spots are like it makes the veil thinner between the physical world and the energy world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see. And the ley lines, I think, of the earth yeah. are, you know, kind of like the acupuncture meridians, you know, and then smaller, you know, power spots like um, uh, Mount Shasta, right. you know, places that we know here in this country. Right. Very interesting. I wonder if Sedona has any. 
Sedona, I think that, uh, yes, definitely. I think people feel these things. We feel a difference when we go. Mm-hmm. And I know when I went to Ecuador, too, in the Andes, mm-hmm. they also honored the volcanoes as power spots. And so when we had our initiation, it was mm-hmm. on one of those uh, volcanoes. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Um, now, I'm also curious, you mentioned you in the Philippines, you saw a psychic surgeon. Yes, I did. At Reverend Alex Orbito, I went, this was back in the 80s, mm-hmm. and I went with a group of uh, mostly health professionals, but some people, it was about 30 people, and uh, some, of, some of the people were patients and some were health professionals. Mm-hmm. And we all were curious because they were doing, you know, the psychic surgeons were kind of, people were interested in them back in the 80s, and then they debunked them. So I went... I experienced a couple of them who came through the United States, and Alex was one. So I went over there. We were there two weeks. I wanted to see for myself what was what I felt was going on. You know, right. was it real? Was it not real? And no I left. Anesthesia, right, Donnie? Mm-hmm. Was there no anesthesia? No anesthesia. Huh. No, and and they put their hands in in people's bodies and pull stuff out, and it's not. It's the way the real ones. <laughs> And that was probably a small percentage that were real because a lot of people got on the bandwagon. They were magicians, and those are the ones that probably got debunked. But there was a handful of, of real ones, and Alex was one. He's also, he was also a reverend. He had his own church. His sister uh, worked in there, and, um, and his brother was also a psychic surgeon because it passed through the generations. His father had been one. And so we would he would work on us twice a day and we would stand right next to him and mm-hmm. watch him put his hands in people. Mm-hmm. And there were, he never put him under the table and never put him anywhere, but you know, where we could see him. Mm-hmm. And we all went through a transformation. We all, you know, felt really healed when we left. But what they said was um, that, there was a small percentage, and they were all born in the same valley, and I can't remember the name of that valley, mm-hmm. but they were all born there. They felt like it was a remnant of Lemuria, and that, that the healing abilities of the Lemurians had gotten passed down through the genetics and through these psychic surgeons. And there was a very small number of them um, that really were real. Mm-hmm. And then what had happened was, word got back you know that they were doing this and then some of the magicians would sign up with travel agencies and you know when people are facing a life-threatening illness they're pretty vulnerable right 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 and so that was so they would go over but they would be with the magicians Mm -hmm. so the the small percentage of ones that were real had their own little organization you know so that and they all worked together but that was where the debunking happened Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. No. And uh, when you you said you went to Australia with the, I did. I lived for in Australia for two and a half years on the Gold Coast. Right. And I found an Aboriginal teacher. There weren't that many Aborigines mm-hmm. in that part of the country. Most of them were up toward the north. Okay. But I did find one who lived in Byron Bay, and her name was Lorraine Moffy Williams, mm-hmm. and she was willing to teach me you know some of the things about the way the Austro- uh, the um aborigines 
believed. Mm-hmm. And she had um, she had her she worked with with gods on the other side. She called mm-hmm. them the band, I think she called them, mm-hmm. and they guided her. And she said that uh, we all are guided, and that we're guided by the ancestors, but also our personal guides that are with us in this life. Mm-hmm. And that they usually come to us in our sleep. Mm-hmm. And one group would come, and I can't remember which was which, but one group would come like around 8 o'clock at night, and the other group would come around 5 o'clock in the morning. So they would always make sure they were sleeping during those times mm-hmm. so they could get their guidance. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. That's very fascinating. And she was, she was very loving as well. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of my teachers aren't in the body anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the Aborigines, um, are, if you can explain to the listeners, uh, Bonnie, just a little bit about their culture, more or less. Well, they, um, they really believe in the dream time, which to us would be the energy world, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where things, where reality actually gets manifested. That's why we visualize. That's mm-hmm. why we, um, you know, work, you know, people like us and people that are listening to your <laughs> your show, I'm sure, uh, we know about that energy world. And they, like I said, they call it the dream time, and they seem to have one foot in that dream world all the time. So mm. if you look at them, they, you can see their eyes kind of looking somewhere else. And I think a lot of people misinterpret that as them not being all there, but they're, mm-hmm. and they're not. They're partly in the energy world. Mm-hmm. But, but that, you know, it, it, they don't, I mean, it's part of who they are. It's their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they, they're very, well, they're very open-hearted. The ones I met, Lorraine was mm-hmm. wonderful and very, very giving with herself and her information. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't, they're kind, they don't, uh, you know, harbor any grudges toward, you know, the people that took over Australia, you know, and put them on reservations like we did our Native Americans. Right. But they kind of, yeah, they don't have the same sense of time that we have. Um, So, you know, a lot of times it's hard for them to work. You know, they have a different work ethic. To them, if they go, if they say that, if they make a commitment, Mm -hmm. they make it, but it may not be in the time frame that we might expect. So they might go late to a job, but then they get it done. They stay until it's all done. And a lot of times that's not acceptable, you know, for the boss. (laughs) Well, that's fascinating. So they're, um, so they're connecting, like you were talking about their eyes. Um, they're they're really um, uh, they're integrated with the, uh, the the spirits of their dreams. Mm-hmm. Other, it's not so much the other world; it's one world, probably. If you know what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, we're not seeing it as two worlds. So they are they continuously contacting their spirits in the daily with their on their daily. Tour? Well, I think like all of us, there are elements of their population that do, and probably some that don't, you know, I mean, all the cultures have some people that are more, you know, into, we're just different, we're all, (laughs) all different, and, um, but, you know, I think that as a, as a whole, as a, you know, general thing, they do live in a different world than we do, and they keep it pretty much to themselves, they Uh, have different they have different levels of information that they 
can share and they go through initiations. So with each initiation, they're given more of the secrets. And the only ones that Lorraine could give me, because I was on the very bottom level, because I was an outsider. <laughs> but, mm. you know, a lot of their their tattoos and everything, are uh, they're speaking of their initiations. I see. She, she also worked with, she worked with fire and she worked with crystals. Mm -hmm. In what way did she work with fire? Um, she would use that in, with her prayers and her ceremonies and as a cleansing tool. Mm -hmm. And that's what the South American shamans do as well. Mm -hmm. That's the way they cleanse. With fire. Um, and, and the crystals, she said that the young men sometimes would get a crystal implanted in their third eye. Mm. And that would open up their vision. Mm -hmm. But I know with one of the, I was teaching over there. And, and so I brought her to my school and, I, <laughs> and, uh, one of the students had a stomach problem and she gave her this tiny little crystal and told her to swallow it. <laughs> really? And she did. I know. <laughs> anyway, and I, I don't know, you know, the woman said she felt better, but you know, right. it just seemed kind of a strange. Right. Right. Maybe she did. And maybe it was just mm -hmm. the, the placebo yeah. effect, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it um, could be. Right. You know, that is fascinating. So, and, and from, from what you've been saying, there's so much to learn I'm picking up from the indigenous cultures because they're so real and they're so yes. connected to Mother Earth. And uh, like you just mentioned to Chris, I mean, to everything of Earth, the Earth, the Earth, the volcano, mm -hmm. here are the volcanoes and, and honoring it. I'm certainly honoring uh, Mother Earth and not forgetting about that aspect to honor Mother Earth. Exactly. Uh, right. Yes. Uh, and why do you think that is? Is it because they're indigenous as opposed to an industrialized country? What is the root of that? I do. I think part of it's their their heritage. Mm -hmm. And it, it, this, I think there's an innate spirituality. Um, I also think it's because they're still living. They're not industrialized. Right. So they're still living, you know, not with... with um, rubber sole shoes and little square houses like we do. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't, they don't drive cars like we do. You mm -hmm. know, they're, they're walking in, in the plants and on the earth all the right, time. Right. right, feet flat on that earth, feeling it, you know, feeling it, going straight to their, mm -hmm. their whole body, uh, maybe helping you lining the chakras. They probably uh, uh, respect water, the element of water. Much oh, absolutely. All four of the elements they do, air, earth, fire, and water, and they mm -hmm. use all of them. Mm -hmm. So is their air quality usually better? I don't know. I, I don't know either. It's probably changing over the years with the influence of everything around them. Uh, you know, that was part of, well, when I went to Ecuador, I saw the, a lot of stuff, you know, influenced by the oil companies down there. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard. That was mm -hmm. sad to me to see that, you know, because they were, um, a lot of the men were leaving the villages to go work for the oil companies and, you know, was breaking up the families to a large extent, um, mm -hmm. chopping down trees down there and everything. But that, and, but that was where, um, I'm, actually, that's where I got the inspiration to write my book because I was in such grief. I was down there with uh, a group of John Perkins, with um, mm -hmm. Mary Tyndall, who was the guide. Right. And 
we were having a ceremony in the rainforest and I just started crying. I was full of so much grief from what I was seeing about the oil companies and the trees mm -hmm. and everything. And then finally, Mary just said, Bonnie, just see if you can turn your grief into creativity. And there was something that shifted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that that must be a power spot, too, where change can happen easier. But something shifted in me to where that was what you know, motivated me to write the book. Because now it's an automatic thing. Every time I go into this grief, Mm -hmm. I just automatically either write or speak, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and move that energy in some other way. And it, it was life changing for me. Um, there's a few things. Now, uh, one thing is what I find interesting from what you're saying, there's certain PowerPoints of the earth, no matter what. <laughs> I mean, they're, yes. they're not going anywhere. <laughs> and, and I guess to recognize them more and more. Um, Yes, I think if we're open, yeah, if we recognize them and if we're open right. to them and we set right. our intention, mm -hmm. I think that that's where the magic can happen. Mm -hmm. I think that the nature spirits wait for us to give them permission to help us. Mm, how interesting. And, you know, and the angels, and I think that's what prayer is about. We're giving permission for our helpers to actually intervene because they respect our free will. Mm -hmm. So, um, I know we get a lot of listeners in Europe. Where are some PowerPoints in Europe, Bonnie? Oh, my goodness. You know what? Um, I'm sure there are some in England, especially. I think Stonehenge mm -hmm. was built on one. And I, and I have been there once. And I did feel mm -hmm. a difference in, in that. Mm -hmm. I don't know about the other countries where they would be. The only ones I've heard of are um, in England. Mm -hmm. But I'm okay. sure they're all over the place. Right. No, that um, would be a great show. Probably the Lords, you know, with that mm -hmm. sacred water. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Yes, definitely. Yes, with that in France. Mm -hmm. Yes, that makes sense. Uh, how about, um, all right, well, no, that's, that's fascinating because then if we knew more about that, uh, we could probably increase our internal power more and more. Probably. I know. And it, and it can heal us, too. Like um, one time when I went to uh, Hawaii, because they have the volcanoes. Right. And the volcano that's on uh, Maui. Right. I had back pain when I went and I climbed that volcano and just sat there and meditated. And when I got up, the back pain was gone. Yeah, that makes sense. That's um, So in the United States, we mentioned uh, you mentioned Mount Chasta, maybe Sedona. And Sedona. Mentioned Mali. Um, yeah, and probably, I think Ohio, you know, probably the crystal areas of Arkansas and Ohio has some ancient Indian mounds that we've never, um, you know, really paid much attention to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure the Native Americans felt those and probably some of the places where they you know, built their villages were on those right. power spots. Right, 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 right. No, that makes sense. And then you mentioned, um, and that's a great show to delve into, um, the PowerPoints of the world. Yes, right? yes. Bonnie, maybe you could do that. Uh, now, you mentioned John Perkins, and I remember in a discussion you mentioned that he said, the world is in you, dream it, if you want to. Yes, the world is as you dream it, yes. <laughs> Well, why not, why not act with it? Why did he say, I'm curious, dream it? What did he, what's your insight with that? 
Well, I believe that we have to do both. I, I, I really, I, I think we have to be on the earth and we have to do our work, right. but we also can work in the energy world and put our vision there. And a lot, a lot of the indigenous people that I studied, just about everybody did, including um, his work uh, with the Dream Change Coalition uh, and Alberto Violdo too, just mm-hmm. recently, he reminded me, I went to hear him um, up in New York. Right. And he, all of these people talk about the the old age and the new age coming. And I'm not talking about the kind of new age that I was with him for a while in the 70s and 80s. It got kind of commercialized, I think. Right. But they talk about the death, the old paradigm is dying. And the old paradigm is one of, um, you know, competition of individualism. You think of like John Wayne, you know, the masculine male, you know, and making things happen mm-hmm. and, and materialism, mm-hmm. that that is actually dying mm-hmm. and a new one is forming, but we as human beings are the midwives and we have to participate in creating this new future by visualizing, but also how how and living, which is on this earth. Right. So we're doing both. And this is how we're going to usher this new age in. We can't just mm-hmm. expect it to pop in our laps. Right. We all have to do our work, which I believe is part of what you're doing with your show. And I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so I'm trying to understand a little bit more because is this a subtle process where people's consciousness are simply becoming more elevated and they might have different priorities with their lives and that eventually they want to serve mankind more? Or what's your take on that, Bonnie? Yes, I think, I think that at, that is true. When something is dying, it's not comfortable, though. And I think mm-hmm. we are learning that. I think you know, I'm certainly not comfortable these days with what's going on politically or, you know, a lot of things that I'm seeing in the world. Mm-hmm. But um, this is what keeps me going is this um, knowledge, you know, that these indigenous people have passed down to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it's we have to allow ourselves to um, in, in the shamanic world we call it dismemberment. We have mm-hmm. to allow our, the old to fall apart and then mm-hmm. fall away, mm-hmm. and that's the familiar. Mm-hmm. And it's not a comfortable process, but we have to allow that, and at the same time have the mm-hmm. faith mm-hmm. and keep living our vision, keep living our lives, even though we may not see it in front of our eyes. Mm-hmm. knowing that how we are living is going to make a difference. Well, with what you're saying then, the indigenous cultures are becoming more and more important for us to yes. respect to values and to integrate. Yes. And to integrate their values. Yes, yes. And that's another thing that John Perkins taught me about was the, mm-hmm. the marriage of the eagle and the condor. He talked, he talked about the... Uh, the eagle, which is the sacred bird of the north, 
in the wet, you know, in our Western culture, and the condor, which is the sacred bird of South America, the eagle is the bird of the mind, and the condor is the bird of the heart. And it's the marriage of the masculine of the action and the feminine of the allowing of the embracing. Mm-hmm. And so these these two birds, that's symbolic of this marriage that's coming together. Mm-hmm. And it's also even the even our Native Americans in North America are aware of it, as well as the South Americans. And the, the two groups actually have gotten together mm-hmm. and and discussed all of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why they were so open in South America to letting people like me come down there. Mm-hmm. and teaching us. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is that the tradition of the indigenous cultures uh, still remain. Yes. You know, yes. <laughs> Native Americans still honor the earth, the old, you know, the traditional Native American. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's quite fascinating. Now, I'm just curious with your book, why do you uh, integrate medicine, the return of the soul? To healthcare. Why did healthcare. you? <laughs> yeah. To me, well, the, to me, soul is the, the healing aspect of medicine. Okay. And I feel like we've kind of lost the plot at this uh-huh. point. We're so enamored with medical technology, uh-huh. and we've forgotten the hands-on, the listening, the compassion. Mm-hmm. I I was a nurse for twenty years, and when I first and I graduated in nineteen sixty-seven. So when I first was nursing, and during, you know, probably at least half of those 20 years or three-fourths, I was, I was able to really be with my patients. I could be with dying patients. I could listen to them. I could touch them. Mm-hmm. I could get to know them and their families. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I just started seeing everything changing to less and less um, ability, you know, to be able to do that as a nurse. Mm-hmm. And as a even as a patient now, I just feel like I don't like to go into the hospital. I, you know, I don't. Um, it just feels very sterile to me. Mm-hmm. And I, my hat is off to the doctors and the nurses that are still able to work in that environment that now it seems like it's just been so driven by profit motives. Mm-hmm. Mm. That to me, that's where we've kind of lost our soul of of medicine. But then. I'm also seeing an emergence of more and more people that want to integrate. Mm-hmm. You know, there are more doctors and nurses that are kind of dropping out of the system. They're kind of creating their own type of pro- uh, practices that may not be dependent on insurance. Mm-hmm. But there are more and more um, centers across the country, too, that have an integrative medicine uh part to it they either have a separate building if you look at andrew Weil or um dr hyman Mm -hmm. but duke university has one that you know they're all over they're wonderful prototypes because they're all over the country Mm -hmm. but you know if anybody looks you know in their community there are going to be integrated practitioners like myself Mm -hmm. and what people are having to do now is kind of take their own power and be like the you know, conductor of an orchestra and decide who is going to play what when. And that includes their MD, their, you know, their specialists, and then their acupuncture, their chiropractic, massage therapist, psychotherapist. You know, but it's the patient that has to be their own doctor at this point. Mm-hmm. Self-empowerment. 
Yes, and I and I think that that's one of the blessings of the changes in medicine because it is forcing us to empower ourselves right, rather right. than just give our power away to right, an expert. Right. right. I think Dr. Bernie Siegel was the pioneer of that many years ago. Right. So, I think so too. Yes, so, he was a visionary. Yeah, no question about it. Yes. And listeners, he's on the show once a month or so. Um, well, this is fascinating, really. If you want to tell the listeners, uh, uh, Dr. McLean, uh, the wisdom that you've learned, some of the wisdoms uh, that you've learned from the indigenous cultures, what would you say? Well, again, I would just repeat that it's the way of the heart that's important. Mm -hmm. And that is what we will, that's what heals us. Mm -hmm. And that if we can bring the heart and the healing back into our medicine, we're going to have an amazing system of both medical technology and the healing process. Dolores Krieger used to teach nurses how to do laying on of hands in the hospital, and they were doing it for a while, and we need to, we need to bring all that back. Mm -hmm. So I'm visualizing that all the time. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. And when you say connecting to the heart, you're saying like, what you just say, laying of the hands or... Um, and well, the compassion part of it, and the, the touch, and the listening, and being present with that right, person. Right, right, right. You got to do that. It's important because, as yes. you said before, uh, a lot of patients are vulnerable. Absolutely. The doctor's office. Yes. And, um, I don't think people understand that as much unless they experienced it. I had to, and they walk right. into the doctor's office. And even mm -hmm. if they're in a healing situation in a home, you know, some people don't understand that there's a healing process that's going on. And yes, just that's kindness right. and compassion, the human quality. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you're talking, the humanistic qualities. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, that's a wonderful concept. And I'm, I believe and I hope that, that will just keep on growing. You know, spiritually, practically, physically, on the earth plane, uh, Dr. McLean, you know? Yeah, thank you, Carol. I, I'm doing the same. I think we can, we just have to keep our faith and keep our, keep our vision. Right, 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 beautiful. Well, thank yeah. you very, very much. Um, this has been the matter of the heart. The guest has been Dr. Bonnie McLean. Uh, awarded in 2019 uh, International Award of the Best Doctor in Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. And as you have heard her, so much information that certainly this, this interview could not, <laughs> we would need many more. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Matter of the Heart. I've been your host, Carol Olivia.